Hold on to your hats, the countdown to the biggest wellness event of the year is on. Join our side August 15 and 16 in Melbourne for not one, but two days of Powerhouse Wellness, featuring 11 of Australia's most inspiring, entertaining, educating, fermentating speakers. Damo, what is fermentating? MP, I'll tell you at the summit. Your favourite wellness couch speakers are joined by special guest Nat Kringudis on all things hormones and female health. Join the Up For A Chat girls, the wellness guys, the natural nutritionist Steph Lowe, Kale Brock, Quirky Cookings, Joe Witt, Marcus Pierce, and the rest of your favourite wellness couch podcasters. Regular and VIP tickets are still available, but hurry before this summit is sold out. For tickets, go to www.thewellnesssummit.com. The Wellness Summit is proudly brought to you by Well and You. Be someone that makes you happy. TheWellnessCouch.com, streaming wellness into your lives. The Real Food Real is a fresh and educational podcast dedicated to your health. We get real on current research, debunk food myths, and educate you on how to just eat real food. Your host, Steph Lowe, the natural nutritionist, is one of Australia's leading sports nutritionists, passionate about simplifying nutrition and addicted to coconut lattes, smoothies, and sweet potato. If you love the show, then please leave us a review on iTunes. Share the real food reel with your friends and continue to spread the real food love. Hi team and welcome to episode 31 of the Real Food Reel. Today on the show, we have Amy Skilton, who is a naturopath, herbalist and educator for bioceuticals. Today on the show, Amy and I discuss all things gut health and teach you how to offset the insults of antibiotics. Hi, Amy, and thanks for joining The Real today. Oh, hi, Steph. Thank you for having me. Really excited to chat with you today. And I'd love to start with a little bit of background information about yourself, your career, and and certainly now what you're up to as your role as an educator for bioceuticals. Yes, sure. So, look, I started my studies goodness me, it must have been 16 years ago. (laughs) It was like an eon ago. And I, as you said, I'm I'm a naturopath, nutritionist and herbalist. I also trained as a beauty therapist as well because I have a special interest in skin. And I have been uh, seeing clients in private practice in that entire time. But in the last 10 years, I have worked in one capacity or another with bioceuticals and currently in the role of senior educator. And And what that means is I'm responsible for not only training our internal staff, but also I get the privileged opportunity to fly around Australia and on occasion overseas actually training other health practitioners on the latest research on treating health conditions and um, new breakthroughs and, you know, herbal medicine, for example. I mean, tonight I'm in Brisbane to speak to some pharmacists about probiotics and then on Saturday I'm actually going to be at um, the Australian Integrative Medicine Association's conference in Melbourne to speak there also. So it's very varied and lots of fun. Yeah, sounds amazing. And I love that you're able to share the latest research and um, certainly, you know, approach that from a really natural sense. Yeah, yeah, me too. Lovely. All right. So let's dive in um, in regards to our topic today. So we're going to talk about gut health um, and we have discussed this topic on the show before, but Mm. for the benefit of our audience, what does gut health mean to you and and certainly why is it of significance? So 
Naturopathically speaking, the gut is called the tube of life <laughs> and it's really of primary importance to the well-being of every other cell in our body because it's where we obtain all of our nutrients from or lack thereof depending on your diet and also our primary mode of the elimination of toxins. We have other organs that support that um, but essentially really is the, also the largest interface for our immune system. And having a healthy gut is absolutely critical to having a healthy life, a healthy body, um, and lowering the risk of chronic lifestyle diseases. So, you know, when the gut is working optimally, we're able to obtain maximum nutrients from the food that we're consuming. We're able to eliminate toxins really um, well and efficiently. And I think perhaps in practical terms, it's the ability to eat a variety of foods, digest them comfortably and eliminate waste comfortably. Um, so for um, most people, that would be not having things like bloating or constipation or diarrhea, for example. Yeah, right. This is a little bit off topic for a second, but mm. I guess I'm interested because you've been in, the, in this realm for 16 years, as you mentioned, whereas... Um, it's probably something, you know, you've been talking about for a very long time, yet I feel um, from a larger sense, it's only a topic that has become quite sort of mainstream recently. Have you got any comments on that? Yeah, I, I agree. Um, there's really nothing sexy about talking about tools <laughs> <laughs> or your bowel function. Um, digestive problems are really have largely been, you know, an embarrassing thing no one really wanted to talk about you know, with their friends and family. Um, and I think also with all of the breakthroughs in medicine and um, areas of specialty, it's really easy to get caught up in the detail and forget to step back and look at our bodies as a whole and how everything works together. Um, unfortunately, or fortunately, however the, you want to view it, you actually can't look at any part of your body without considering the impact of your gut health on that part of the body, which means, you know, new uh, medical interventions or surgery or medicines or even herbs and nutrients are going to have a limited result on certain health conditions if you don't also fix the gut, which I think just from a practical point of view means we're now being forced to talk more about gut health and what that means for us long term and actually address it knowing and understanding for the first time that it really is the foundation upon which everything else rests. Yeah, that's a really important point and I'm glad you mentioned that. And certainly um, our listeners or the majority I feel would be aware of that comment about the gut being the second brain and the significance there. Yes. Could you touch on that for us and give us a little bit of information about the connection, please? Yeah, you know what? This is a really, really fascinating area of medicine, so much so that there's a new arm of psychology which is looking at probiotics for the treatment of um, mood disorders. In fact, even things as serious as schizophrenia, for example. I know. How and cool is that? <laughs> absolutely fascinating. Mm. And, you know, there are three ways that um, our, you know, bacteria and our gut health can directly affect the brain as in where it sits in the cranium. But interestingly, the neural plexus in the gut appears to be more extensive than that in the brain. And so in actual fact, it might be our first brain oh, wow. <laughs> with our brain and our head's 
possibly being somewhat secondary in certain cases to our overall health and well-being. Yeah, it's so phenomenal. I mean, we it's like we know this, but it's when we get reminded that we realise how huge it really is. Um, I'm just reading a book, as a side note, called 10% Human. Yes. And it's just absolutely fascinating when you really break down and, and look at the entire picture. Mm-hmm. It is actually quite mind-boggling yeah. when you consider cell for cell how greatly we're outnumbered by the bacteria that inhabit us. Um, and so I think, you know, it really points to how important it is to know what we are um, inhabited by and how that is impacting every single second of our day. Yeah, for sure. Okay, so you touched on briefly some symptoms when we were covering how not sexy uh, digestive health (laughs) is, but let's address this question because it's something I get asked a lot um, and I think, you know, people are really starting to wonder, how do you know if you've got poor gut health? So there are a number of signs and symptoms which, to be honest, many people suffer from and therefore write off as normal. Yeah, I agree. Um, and that is feeling, you know, full really quickly after meals. And I'm talking about uncomfortably full and heavy um, in the gut as opposed to satisfied and full. Um, bloating up after eating um, is probably the most common complaint I get from my clients and, of course, just here socially. Um, um, things that people tend to mention less often is being constipated and blocked up. We should really be having a bowel motion once a day, if not a couple of times a day. Um, and I see, you know, in some extreme cases, people going once a week. That's a really, really bad sign. Um, undigested food in your stools, um, gas, diarrhea, and I guess fluctuating bowel habits as well, being constipated some days and then other days, you know, having looser stools. Of course, all of these signs and symptoms may indicate something more sinister or a disease pathology and should always be checked out thoroughly. Um, And of course, mucus or blood in the stools is absolutely cause to go to your doctor immediately. Um, But stepping back from having an actual disease or condition, if the, you know, the bowel or the gut is dysfunctional, those are the typical signs and symptoms you get that are illustrating that, you know, either your digestive secretions aren't so great, or maybe there's an imbalance in your microflora, or something's inflamed your insides and your body needs some help getting that back under control. Yeah, I think those are really important points. And, you know, they are the digestive symptoms in a nutshell that you're right, people um, assume to be normal. So I'm glad you clarified that they're certainly not, that they need to be investigated. Um, But I'd also like to touch on if we consider the role of the gut in both immunity and the connection to the brain, Mm. um, could we have a look at maybe some other symptoms that are systemic perhaps? Of course. Goodness. I mean, it could be a laundry list, to be honest, knowing how wide-reaching the effect of the gut is on the rest of the body. But to give you a few examples that I see clinically, um, one probably more common example is food intolerances or food allergies, depending on what you want to call it, resulting in um, more chronic conditions like eczema for example, or triggering migraines. Um, But even further to that, I've seen um, depression and anxiety be induced by certain foods because they're not being broken down properly. Um, 
And, you know, even so far as um, maldigestion of good fats could result in issues with cholesterol or cardiovascular disease because you're missing out on essential fatty acids from food you might well already be eating um, and fat-soluble vitamins, for example. So there really isn't any condition that you can point to where you can say that is absolutely not affected by the gut. Um, and then there are certain conditions that are heavily influenced by gut health and in some cases are actually triggered by dysfunction in the digestive system itself. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's a really important point to clarify that it should be addressed in, you know, I don't like to use absolutes, but almost every case. Yeah, you know what, you're, you're right though, it, it really does come down to every single one of us is affected by the health of our gut. Um, it's not just what we eat but what we digest and absorb um, and that relies very, very heavily on gut health and if that isn't working well, it's actually only a matter of time before um, symptoms will show up of nutrient deficiencies or pathologies may actually start in the body and you, you you just can't ignore it and if you do it is it is at your peril not to sound like a doomsdayer but <laughs> it really is that vital yeah absolutely very good so if we've identified that we potentially have some symptoms of poor gut health what would be your first sort of suggestion or point of call from a restoration point of view so there's a few key aspects that I look at. Um, funnily enough, the first one I want to mention is stress levels, and I know that's going to sound a little left of field, but we do live in a modern day and age where we're constantly running on adrenaline because of things that are adding pressures to our lives, not to mention caffeine that we voluntarily imbibe. <laughs> and as a result, that excess adrenaline actually um, affects negatively the circulation to our gut because it's actually prioritizing it to other organ systems. So one of the key things that I always tell my clients is to always eat their meals sitting down in a relaxed environment, um, ensuring they're chewing every meal properly. And in some cases, I actually get them to do pranayama or yogic breathing exercises for a couple of minutes beforehand just to switch themselves out of that ramped up fight or flight adrenalized state and into a place of being able to break their food down properly. Um, then you want to look at um, any potential indicators that digestive secretions aren't working so well, so low stomach acid production, poor bile quality, pancreatic enzyme function, and there are natural ways to stimulate those things and support those things. Um, and then you've got really the two core things that most natural medicine practitioners will focus on, and that is the balance of microflora in your gut um, and what the distribution's like and the impact of that on your digestion and also the literally the lining of the gut itself, you know, how strong and healthy that is, which affects what goes through to your bloodstream and the rest of your body and what gets kept out. So it's a definitely a multifactorial approach and there are some key things that you do for each one of those areas to actually improve someone's gut function back to where it should be. Yeah, great. Some great tips there. And I love that you started with stress. Um, you know, we have the conversation in clinic a lot and people look at you like you're a total hippie or that maybe you're speaking <laughs> another language. But the significance, it can't be, it can't be ignored. So no. certainly even just from a 
um, food intolerance point of view, we find people that are actually really stressed, they think they're intolerant to lots of foods, but is it the chicken or the egg where, you know, you often have to start with that stress management. So true. All right. So I actually want to jump forwards a little bit because I'm dying to talk to you about antibiotics. Yes. So I know that, um, you know, I've had some conversations even recently and not everyone is aware of their negative impacts. So mm-hmm. I'd really like to dive in here and, and discuss the role of antibiotics and, and certainly um, then how we can negate the negative impacts if we're in the situation where it's unavoidable. Yeah, sure. I mean, this is such a huge topic, right? And there's, you know, so much we could say about it. But for anyone who is hearing this for the first time and thinking, um, what is wrong with antibiotic therapy? Mm, mm. Um, There is a huge issue globally with antibiotic resistant bacteria. And like viruses, they can uh, evolve to become resistant to medications. And What that means for us as human beings is in the past when the antibiotics were first discovered, bacterial infections that would typically have made someone very seriously ill or even killed them were able to be treated with uh, medicines that killed those bacteria off and as a result they were I, I suppose the wonder drug of their time and they still play a really important role in infection control today. However, Um, resistance to those medications is growing exponentially and there are a few areas in which we can help to, I guess, reduce that risk. And one of them is to always be mindful of whether we really need them or not. Um, Currently here in Australia, it's winter and I still hear people out on the street and at restaurants talk about needing antibiotics for a cold or a flu. Um, And I think Part of the, the campaign against antibiotic resistance is education around antibiotics can't kill viruses and therefore are a complete waste um, in the case of a viral infection like the cold or flu. Um, for immunocompromised people, they may be given prophylactically or preventatively to, um, in case there's a bacteria, secondary bacterial infection that may occur. Um, but I think people need to be really cautious of that and use it only when it's really appropriate. Um, Another common problem is actually people not finishing their course of antibiotics, which might sound strange coming from me as a naturopath, but if you are prescribed them, you need to take them exactly as they've been prescribed because there's a reason for it. Um, But certainly another element to the issue of the growing resistance, um, the growing virulence of pathogenic bacteria also comes down to the decimation of good or health-providing bacteria, um, both in and on ourselves and also in our crops, for example. Um, Essentially, if I was to simplify it right down, it's a balance between good bacteria and bad bacteria. And we live in a a time where we're sanitizing and sterilizing just about everything. Um, And in addition to that, having medications that disrupt our normal protective bacterial balance and not replacing them or replenishing them really sets us up to have a weakened immune system and uh, increases problems with obviously antibiotic-resistant bacteria as well. Yeah, it is a huge topic. Um, I just want to start a little bit further back because you did raise some great points. Um, So how do we make the decision? What's urgent and what can be avoided from an antibiotic therapy point of view? 
So, look, I think that's so individual. Yeah. <laughs> it's probably very, very hard to answer. I think um, you need to have a really frank discussion with your doctor. If you've showed up at a doctor's office um, and have an infection of some sort, um, you, you want to know whether it's bacterial or viral for a start, and you can check that in a number of ways. Um, including white blood cell count mm. and really work out whether the antibiotics are required. Um, and then I guess the degree of infection is also um, something worth considering. Uh, in some cases, mild bacterial infections may respond really well to antimicrobial herbs and nutrients and immune support, um, whereas something more serious will need something more heavy-duty like an antibiotic. And also your general state of well-being. If you're someone who looks after their health, you know, eats their appropriate fruit and vegetable servings, is getting enough protein and essential fatty acids, and your vitamin D status is good, your immune system is likely to respond really well to natural therapies mm. when presented with an infection. However, if you've been really unwell or maybe you've been hospitalized or your nutrition is poor, your immune system might not be as well equipped to deal with an infection, in which case you may need the antibiotic more than someone who is in a better state of health. So it is really hard to know and you really have to assess it on a case-by-case -case basis. By all means, get a second opinion. If you have a great naturopath or natural healthcare practitioner to see, run it by them as well and, and have the two work together to for your best health. I think that's the ideal way to approach it. Um, and then in the event that you actually need antibiotics, there are a whole lot of things you can do to actually minimise the impact that that has on your system at the end of the day. Yeah, that was my next question actually. So what if we found ourselves in a situation where we've had to take a course of antibiotics? Yes. Um, what do we do immediately post-finishing that course? You know what? There's actually something even more important or as important to do whilst you're on them. So I might answer your question with that Yes, please do. <laughs> so whilst you're on antibiotics, this is when um, it is obviously killing off pathogenic bacteria, whatever's caused your infection. Um, and at the same time, unfortunately, as, a, as collateral damage, it's also killing off the good microflora in your gut. So at that time, what you want to be doing is really protecting the lining of your gut and keeping a lid on any potential for opportunistic microorganisms in your gut. Candida albicans is probably the most well-known, so I'm going to reference that one, um, that may take the opportunity to proliferate and grow and cause problems later down the track. So for every single client of mine that may require antibiotics, I always prescribe a very special probiotic called Saccharomyces boulardii, and it's a very unique microorganism for hundreds of reasons, but there are really three key things that it does whilst you're on antibiotics. One, it's actually a probiotic yeast, which means it keeps pathogenic yeast in your gut under control and preventing them from proliferating opportunistically, candida being a really great example, which means when you come off the antibiotics and go on to probiotics, which we'll talk about in a moment, there is actually a really good um, opportunity for those good bacteria to proliferate and actually populate your gut. 
Um, second of all, it helps to keep inflammation under control. Um, antibiotics, and particularly really strong ones, can have an inflammatory effect on the lining of our gut, which can cause other problems as well. So Saccharomyces boulardii helps us to produce anti-inflammatory compounds, which stop us from suffering. The some of the side effects you get with antibiotics. And speaking of which, it's actually, interestingly enough, a registered medicine in 55 countries that is specific for the prevention of antibiotic-associated complications like diarrhea and like thrush. So it's ideal to protect your tummy and the rest of your immune system whilst you're on antibiotics. So once you've stopped the antibiotics, once you've finished them, you can then stop the Saccharomyces boulardii as well. And that's when you want to put in probiotics and there are lots of different definitions of probiotics so i might be might clarify what i mean by that you really want to use a probiotic supplement um, sometimes i might hear from clients that they've taken yogurt or you know fermented foods um, post antibiotics to help replenish their good bacteria and whilst those things are really great and they're good sources of bacteria the amount that they have in them and the diversity that they have in them is not enough to actually put back what you lost on a course of antibiotics yeah. so when I say you need to take a probiotic I mean a medicinal supplement one that has loads of bacteria and I'm talking about hundreds of billions of bacteria um, and you want to make sure that they have bacteria for both the small and the large intestine so that's lactobacilli bacteria and bifidobacteria and you want to make sure there's a really nice diverse range of those so you don't want to just use one lactobacilli like lactobacillus acidophilus for example when we have got 400 different species in our tummy so we want to offer really our gut as wide a variety as possible so it can cherry pick what suits it best um, so that is a must do post-antibiotic therapy and it is actually mandatory in some countries in Europe that if antibiotics are prescribed probiotics are co-prescribed and I'd really like to see the same thing happen here sooner rather than later that's the coolest thing i've learned this week that is amazing go europe yeah <laughs> um i think australia has a few areas to catch up on of late <laughs> sadly sad but true <laughs> yeah cool but you make a good point so all of our clients would go on a course of probiotics um at least initially and then we have the conversation about the foods that we can use um from a longer term point of view yeah absolutely so Ongoingly, I think it's really important that people are mindful of um, looking after their gut flora. Um, they're almost like tenants, if you like, <laughs> who are renting space inside us and we really want to keep them happy. Um, and fermented foods is a really great way of topping up and really maintaining your microbial count and keeping that balance in your favor. And of course, um, in addition to that, you want to keep them fed. So fiber um, is also a really important part of that. And it's another area where I think people are not as mindful as they should be around how much we really need. Um, current dietary guidelines suggest 30 grams a day and the typical Australian may consume somewhere between 8 and 15 grams of fibre a day. So our good bugs, you know, just might well be starving to death if we don't look after them. Yeah, that's a really good point. 
And so what are your thoughts, just on that, what are your thoughts on the sort of the craze that we have with, um, you know, kiffers and fermented foods and bone broths? Have you got some comments to make on like volume or, you know, can you overdo it and what we should look at from a, I guess, a portion control point of view? Yeah, that's a really good question. I think it's possible to overdo anything, (laughs) even the good things. Um, Look, when you think about how we ate pre-industrial revolution, um, fermented foods would have been a daily part of our diet. So I certainly think having them daily is good. I don't think it's necessarily um, the right thing to do is have them at every meal Mm. Um, it really is dependent on what you're doing it for and what your body really needs Uh, and I think you need to look at how much you're having in the context of the rest of your daily intake so you know if you're having so much that it's reducing your fruit and veg intake or maybe you're missing out on lean protein or essential fats that really needs to be looked at Um, and it's probably I think advisable if you're unsure to actually speak to a nutritionist or naturopath and have them look at your diet um, and your typical daily habits to tweak them if necessary. Um, But, you know, bone broth is a very nourishing thing to be having full of um, nutrients that really our day-to-day lives are missing. Mm. Uh, Again, pre-industrial revolution, um, food storage options that we have today meant we really did consume the whole animal or as much as we could. Um, And... We've now moved into a time where we focus mostly on muscle meats and the rest goes in the bin if it's used to make soup, which is such a horrible waste of, you know, nutrients that our body can so readily use to heal and repair. Um, Fermented foods are excellent. With the kefirs and kombuchas of the world, I do love them, but I think you have to be really careful of the kind that you choose or the quality that you choose because... Fermentation requires, obviously, a starter, uh, but also nourishment for the microorganisms, which typically is sugar, which is actually counterproductive when you are trying to um, look after your microflora. So what I tell my clients is to look for um, kombucha, as an example, with low or no sugar. So um, something that has been fermented so that it reduces the amount of sugar substrate as much as possible, Um, whereas some of the ones that may be commercially produced could be quite high in sugar and therefore um, not providing the same benefit and possibly putting you back a step or two as well. Yeah, great points. Have you got some guidelines? Is it one portion a day or should we try a little bit more or is it, again, quite relative? It is relative. So in terms of the amount of portions a day, yeah, absolutely it is relative. And But I would say, you know, a daily dose of fermented foods or a fermented beverage would be a really nice way just to top up and maintain your microflora. If you were, say, recovering from a course of antibiotics, you may want to increase that to twice a day. Um, And if fermented foods are really new to you um, and seem like a really foreign concept, just even try and aim for once or twice a week. Every little bit counts towards improving your digestive health. And I suppose the, the real core message is listen to your body and see how you actually feel when you're having it. See what it's like after a couple of weeks of having it. Are you feeling better? 
Is it improving your digestion? Um, if it's having a limited effect or you're feeling not quite right with it, it may be, again, worth speaking to a qualified health practitioner and working out what really is right for you as an individual. Yeah, great message. I love that. Very good. So we have covered a lot today and I hope our listeners have, have learned so much. Um, we just have a couple of questions that we like to ask our guests on The Real Food Real um, so we can learn a little bit more about you and um, certainly um, know where you live online. So yeah. I just wanted to get a bit of a idea as to what your sort of real food message is in terms of what you like to eat, what a day on your plate looks like. Oh, that's such a good question. Um, so, look, I've got a few key things that I have to be mindful of for me personally, and that's drinking enough water and getting enough greens. So, in winter, I typically drink um, lots of herbal teas because I hate cold water when I feel cold. Uh, so, at the moment, rather than drinking, you know, water with a dash of chlorophyll or lemon, which is what I do in summer, I'm having, you know, licorice tea, ginger tea, um, things that are really nice and warming and yummy. Um, uh, so, to, I suppose for a day on a plate, I should run you through what I've eaten today. That's probably a good example. Um, this morning I had corn and zucchini fritters with a couple of poached eggs and a side of fresh greens, so microgreens and rocket. Uh, I had some sashimi and sea vegetables for lunch today. Um, because I'm working tonight, I'm going to go and grab a snack now, which is likely going to be some fruit and nuts because I'm staying in a hotel. Um, and then tonight I'm actually pretty certain there's fish on the menu um, with steamed veggies. Now, I am partial to dark chocolate and I have that very regularly, I'll have you know. <laughs> um, but that's probably a typical day for me. I think um, a serving of fruit, I usually try and go for berries or dark, low GI fruits where I can. And I really try and get something fresh into my body at least once a day. Um, during winter, it can be hard because we're naturally drawn to more warming foods, but um, they would, yeah, that would be a typical approach for me. Yeah, we have all our guests answer that question, as I said, and I just love how simple everyone's days are. It's yeah. just beautiful how well you can eat, but how, you know, you can just cover all those food groups, groups with, um, without breaking the budget or, or spending, you know, hours in the kitchen. Yeah, absolutely. Lovely. And in terms of what's next for you, have you got some fun projects to share with us or you're busy touring with Bioceuticals? So uh, I'm touring at the moment, but I actually have got a really, really exciting thing in the works. Um, as I mentioned at the beginning of the interview, I have a particular interest in skin conditions and I'm currently working on a brand new protocol for treating eczema, acne and psoriasis internally as well as as well as developing some therapeutic topical treatments to support that process. And I'm really excited about it because, you know, medically speaking, there aren't very many options in terms of topical treatments. They can be conditions that are really challenging to treat, even naturopathically. And whilst there are some really great natural creams on the market, they have really quite limited ability to produce an effect. So I'm going to be running a clinical study later this year and actually putting my money where my mouth is and touring Australia in the new year, actually sharing that with the rest of the country. So, yeah, I can't wait to do that. Yeah, that's so exciting and we'll be following closely. So I'm sure <laughs> we'll hear more about that in the near future. 
Thank you. Beautiful. And last question before we let you go, Amy, where can our listeners find you? Where do you live online? Oh, okay. So you can find me in a few different places. Uh, I have got a page on Facebook, which is amy.skilton.naturopath. Um, I'm pretty sure if you just searched Amy Skilton Naturopath, you'd find it really easily. Um, I, Amy is spelled A-M-I-E for anyone who isn't uh, aware of me. That's <laughs> not A-M-Y, the usual way. I've got my mum to thank for that. Um, I'm also on Twitter under Amy Skilton, but my favourite place to hang out is actually on Instagram and my Instagram handle is that naturopath. I would love to see you guys there. Very cool. We'll pop all the links in the show notes so our listeners can head over there and, and see what you're eating for the rest of the week, no doubt. <laughs> <laughs> thank you, Steph. That would be awesome. Wonderful. All right, Amy, thanks for sharing your knowledge. I hope everyone learnt so much today. And again, um, we'll see what you're up to later in the year or early next year. And perhaps we'll have you back on to chat about your, your clinical trial. Thanks, Steph. It was a pleasure talking to you. Wonderful. Take care. Bye for now. This has been a production of thewellnesscouch.com. Check us out on Facebook and join in the conversation on facebook.com forward slash thewellnesscouch. Subscribe to each show on iTunes and check us out on Twitter. The Wellness Couch, streaming wellness into your lives. Whilst the Wellness Couch presenter endeavor to provide accurate and helpful information to their listeners, these podcasts cannot take into account individual circumstances and are not intended to be a substitute for health and medical advice from a qualified health professional. You should always seek the advice of a qualified health professional before acting on any of the information provided by any of the Wellness Couch podcasts.